Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. On the show today, we have Jason Prawl on the show, and he's an expert on longevity and anti-aging. And we'll talk about so many different aspects to anti-aging, like what aging really is. Uh, we'll talk about um, you know how trauma can play a huge role in aging as well and impacting our longevity and our perception of uh, community, um, our how it affects our stress levels as well. And, and just in general, how stress affects our nervous system, our limbic system, and what we need to do in regards to stress reduction. We talk about, you know, heavy metals and toxins and their impact on, you know, oxidative stress and aging and lots of really, really, really good tips on, uh, on the show today. If you want to live a longer life, a better quality of life as you age, just check this out. Jason's an absolute expert. And I know you guys listening to this show are you know, concerned about many aspects of your health, but many people don't consider their emotional life or how to address their emotional life and how that can dramatically impact your physical health as well. Not, you know, of course, your, your mental health as well and your, your level of joy and peace and, and happiness. And so I developed a, a great masterclass called the Emotional Detox Masterclass that you should check out if you want to learn more about this subject. You can go to emo-detox.com, emo-detox.com. I did a, you know, about a one-hour masterclass. And it's fascinating information, fascinating statistics about how emotional trauma that happens early in life. And it can be as simple as neglect. It doesn't have to be, you know, outright abuse. It can just be neglect or seemingly you know, innocuous things that dramatically impact us later in life and can dr dramatically impact our health. 65% of physical health issues are caused by emotional trauma. And so just lots of fascinating research in this masterclass. So, so go check that out at emo-detox.com. Our guest today, Jason Prawl, uh, he's a health educator, practitioner, author, and filmmaker. And in 2018, his independent research and experience as a practitioner led him to create the Human Longevity Project. It's a nine-part film series that uncovers the true nature of chronic disease in our modern world. And he's currently working on his next film series that explores ancient methods of healing mind, body, and soul from indigenous cultures around the world. And he's recently released a best-selling new book titled Beyond Longevity, a proven plan for healing faster, feeling better, and thriving at any age. So you can learn more about Jason and his book at beyondlongevitybook.com. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why you focus so much on longevity. It's an interesting question because the, the longevity aspect, to be honest, isn't really a primary interest of mine per se. Where I do have interest is, is in the, the narrative and the ideas that are being floated around the health sphere and the technosphere right now about longevity, which is this idea that we can live to 200 or that aging is a disease that needs to be cured. Um, and, and a lot of the technological progress that we're making um, in sort of the health world, the, the, the bio-tracking and, and the various sort of nanotechnology that is, that is on the way, no question, um, it raises some really interesting uh, moral dilemmas and questions that we, I think, really need to, to sit with. And so um, I wanted to put something out uh, with regard to longevity um, that, that could basically tell a different story than, than some of the stuff that we're finding out of Silicon Valley and, and some of these sort of big thinkers, which I think is, is admirable and I think it's great. And I think it, it can miss the boat in so many areas, um, especially when it comes to the, the, the fact that I don't know anybody, and I've talked with people that are in their 90s and beyond 100, and of course, all of our peers, um, I don't really know anybody that, that has this, this goal of making it to, to 150 or 200 to live this really long life as its, as its sole purpose, right? Like it's, it's always like, 
the things that are kind of left unsaid, which is like this idea of of well-being and connection and purpose. There's there's more meaningful aspects to life than just this this number that we put up, right? So um, so it's really to me about that. It's it's how well we're living. It's how well I can come into the moment right now. How 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 happy can I be in everything that I do, right? Like I think there's deeper aspects to this this idea of longevity, and so that's kind of sort of the, the essence of the title of the book that, that, that I just wrote called Beyond Longevity. So, so this longevity idea is interesting as long as it has some context with it that I think is more important. Yeah. I mean, we want to live a really good quality of life. You know, it's just, you know, I don't want to be someone who's like 60 years old and unhealthy and on five different medications and not able to exercise. And there's a lot of people that's their reality. Yeah. They have a really poor uh, quality of life and they're not even haven't really aged that much, you know? Well, um, and we have, we have regenerative medicine that's like, that's here now, right? And it's, and it's only going to be progressing more and more. So with the things like, you know, PRP and stem cells and peptides and, and, you know, nerve hydrodissection, and there's all these cool things on the orthopedic side, on the regenerative medicine side, and, and we're just scratching the surface. So I have no doubt that what's coming uh, down the pike is going to be more impressive, way cooler, you know, and, and really, really interesting. And I can't live a disharmonious life internally and externally as it relates to my health and then try to, to rely on these regenerative medicine therapies to save me. Like that's not a good recipe either, right? So it, we're just going to be chasing our tail individually. And again, if we're living disharmoniously, um, if we're living in a way that is not conducive to our own individual health, then it necessitates that we are living in a way that is not healthy for our, our environment, you know, our immediate environment and, and the collective environment as a whole, right? So, so that, that's a selfish sort of task if we were to live in a way that's disharmonious and then try to recoup it with all these, these amazing technologies that are coming on the pike. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's talk about aging and mm -hmm. like, how, how do we define aging exactly? Like, where does it begin? Like why, you know, how do our, uh, is it programmed into our cells to, to age and die? Like what's going on there? I mean, this is what's funny um, about aging is that I've I asked uh, a number of people, um, a number of colleagues in our space, right? Really brilliant minds in, in functional medicine, in neurology, in, in gerontology, all over the map, um, what aging is. And I got a different answer with every person I asked. So there actually is no um, standard definition of, of aging, which, which is really fascinating right, if you think about it, right? Because it's something that we all... We all inherently understand, um, but we we haven't really thought about what the definition of it is. And so, um, for me, that was an important question when I wanted to write a book about aging because we hear these ideas that we can reverse aging, right? Um, that we can age backwards, and I think that's great marketing and it's good, it's a cool concept. But the reality is, is, aging only goes one way, and it doesn't stop. And I don't think there's any way to stop it. And, and evidence is on my side on this one, right? There's no single life form that we know of that has stopped aging or reversed aging. We can clean up damage and we can reverse damage. Um, body has inherent mechanisms by which it can do that. So there is a regenerative capacity to the body and that's brilliant, but that's not the same as aging, right? And so when it comes to aging, there's, there's, a, there's sort of two categorical um, theories out there. One is the programmed theories. Another one is the damage theories. And the damage theories center, you know, most of them center around mitochondria, right? And some of them center around telomeres, right? The, uh, the, the, the genetic end cap, so to speak, um, and, and, and when those shorten, but they go so far beyond telomeres because we can have double strand breaks. We can have all kinds of excision repair. We can have all kinds of things going on at the DNA level where there's damage that will impact disease states and eventually death. But then we have the mitochondria, right? Which are the organelles, and, and I'm sure your audience knows this fairly well, the organelles inside the cell that are typically thought of as the energy generators, right? But they do so much more than that. They communicate to the DNA, they produce hormones, they clean up the cell, they, they, they detox, they take out the garbage, they do all kinds of things, right? They signal for, for damage, right? Um, and so when mitochondria start to get damaged, then, then breakdown occurs, right? Communication uh, is, is poor, um, everything starts to break down. 
Well, then we have the cell membranes, right? Some people, some scientists are thinking, well, it's actually the cell membranes. And once the damage happens to the cell membranes, that's when things really start to go awry. And that makes a lot of sense too, because we have a lot of communication, cell to cell communication, intercellular communication, you know, outside the cell communication. And there's all kinds of things going on at that cell membrane, right? Membranes are really, really interesting. That interface is, is where a lot happens. So that's interesting, right? So there's all kinds of these sort of damage theories. And, and, and my take is that they all matter. But ultimately, that isn't what aging is. Aging isn't the damage that's occurring at the cellular, intracellular, extracellular levels. That's just the result of, of disharmony and a result of aging itself. The, the evidence is actually showing that, that there's a, the programmed theories are actually more correct. In other words, that, that there's, a, there's a process throughout evolution, throughout our own evolution, our individual evolution, where we are de in development that that cannot be um, separated from aging, right? This idea of like, so when does aging occur? This is really interesting, right? Does a, is a one-year-old aging? Is, a, is, a, is a, an infant a fetus in, in the womb? Is that aging, right? They're still developing. So they haven't even become a full human yet at three years old and five years old. So can we even consider that aging if they're still in development, right? So it's, it, it becomes very murky if you think about this. But um, the evidence suggests that, that we are aging um, well, put it this way. We don't know what causes aging. Let me put it that way. We don't know where it begins. We don't know what the master control is, right? And so there's there's a few um, uh, Yamanaka factors that I think are becoming really, really popular and really, really interesting. And this is a series of, um, of essentially genetic transcripts or transcription factors that regulate methylation and, and all kinds of things. And so they've been identified as very important in the aging process. Um, and so they've, they've modified them with, I think, mice um, and, and gotten them to live longer. And that's great. But again, we still don't know what's controlling this, this, this progression, this aging process, right? And every single person I know that is in this sort of this longevity sphere, if you look at them 10 years ago, they look younger. So, so far as I can tell, nobody has figured out the, the key to this aging thing. We don't know where it begins. My guess is probably the pineal gland holds uh, you know, a lot of clues. Um, but again, we don't know where it, what controls it, and we don't know essentially what it is. And so I, I, I made an attempt to define aging in the book. And I, you know, I think the, the best way I could figure out how to define it is essentially the loss of coherence. It's a real-time process of loss of coherence such that the regenerative capacity cannot keep up, right? So whenever you have this sort of loss of coherence and the regenerative, the natural regenerative capacity is unable to keep up, that is really what I would call aging. And that can happen at any scale, any time scale and any size scale. So this can happen at the quantum level, so to speak. It could happen inside the cell. It could happen inside the mitochondria. So you can have aging and regeneration happening in this, at this in the same cell right? you can have these sort of multiple things happening and it is through that definition that i think is important to recognize that we can have a heart that is let's say aged more than a kidney for example right and so now we can actually so in other words the aging doesn't happen equally distributed throughout the body right and so how do we understand this and this is one of the problems when we get into measuring telomeres because a lot of the telomere uh, measuring comes down to white blood cells. So they're, they're measuring the telomeres of white blood cells. And that's a pretty good proxy. But at the end of the day, there's tons of research that has shown that that is just a proxy, that your telomeres can be shorter in the kidneys and longer in the liver and a different length in the white blood cells. And what we, what we find is, is that when that's the case, when those are all measured, and then we intervene uh, in a positive way, and we see regrowth of telomeres, then their telomerase enzyme kicks in damage reduces and we get some regeneration what happens is the shorter telomeres are the ones that grow so but the ones that are sort of the medium and the longer telomeres we don't see a lot of of change in those right so the body's sort of selectively targeting the shorter telomeres shoring up the the weak spots so to speak and that's great that's what we would want right and so um that's why this sort of measuring telomeres again unless you're measuring uh, telomeres from all tissues of the body we don't actually know the age of a person because nobody nobody dies when everything fails all at once right there's there's something that happens that generally leads to probably some kind of infection right and, and then we we get taken down but so the, it's a very complex thing when it comes to aging but i think it's important to, to, to define it in a way that allows for this sort of real-time process to occur um, where whereby we can regenerate and also sort of age 
but it's not being confused with this with damage itself. Damage is just a, um, a, a result of aging. And damage can be a result of living out of balance, out of harmony, out of alignment with one's constitution and with natural sort of human, um, the universal concepts of what health is. Yeah. And can you talk about how heavy metals and toxins can damage our cell membranes and cause oxidative stress that result in aging? Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> I mean, it'd be shorter if I tried to discuss how they didn't. Um, because once you, once you get heavy metals um, into the picture, um, everything can start going awry, right? I mean, it, it affects the, well, let me back up and say that there's, there's three main aspects, three main genetic aspects to a human, right? We have the microbiota, which com is comprised of all kinds of different microbes, whether it's um, parasites or uh, bacteria and all kinds of organisms. So we have their collective genome that's at play. Then we have the human genome, right? And then we have mitochondrial genome, right? So we have three sets of sort of genetic information that, that are all sort of working to their own advantage, but they have to work together, right? So, so we're one collective walking, talking rainforest of genetic material that are in constant communication, right? So this is why the microbiota in the gut is so important. So when that starts to break down, when we lose diversity, then we are unable to adapt to our environment. We're unable to communicate to our mitochondria, to our DNA about the environment, about the foods and the things that we're taking in through the gut, right? So that is one of the key factors is that when we eat foods, our microbiota communicate via these secondary metabolites, whether it's hydrogen sulfide or reactive oxygen species or butyrate or whatever the case is, there's all kinds of these secondary metabolites that literally talk to our, our cells, our mitochondria and our human DNA that let those genetic codes determine what they need to do, right? And as they express their genes, then the microbes also sense that and, and adjust there and modify their behavior. Right? So we have this constant dialogue going on. So when you throw something like heavy metals into the picture, you're disrupting the microbiota uh, directly. You're, you're, you're destroying micro, microbial um, populations. You're increasing other microbial populations, partly because they need to break some of those down. Right? So this is one of the things that fungi and candida and, and microbes do is that they help break down uh, dead material right? Uh, this sort of putrid, morbid material, they are the recyclers of the earth. And so when we get these things like chemicals and metals into the system, one of their jobs is going to be to sort of uh, metabolize that stuff for us and try to get rid of that, try to recycle that into something that is organic. So that is one of the things that I do. And in that process, you're going to see uh, microbial populations and, and fungi populations and uh, candida of all kinds start to gr grow in heavy amounts to try to clean up the body. And, and while they are commensal at some degrees, once they start getting to higher levels, they're going to start causing all kinds of problems just by the way of their metabolisms, right? So they can create all kinds of lipopolysaccharides, all kinds of inflammation in the gut level alone. And then as those metals start to migrate through the body, right, they're going to get into the liver and cause disruption at the liver level. They're going to disrupt mitochondria function. Um, they can displace some of the natural metals inside the little proteins in mitochondria. So they're going to kick out some of these things like copper. Um, and so we're going to have all kinds of problems. Um, and, and, all kinds of reactive oxygen species are going to increase, which is going to not only increase damage just by their inherent nature, but the communication mechanisms are going to start to break down, right? So the body actually starts to lose intelligence as we increase the, the load of, of metals, right? Then they can get shuttled around in the body, into the, into the joints, into the brain, the nervous system, right? And then we're, then we're talking about real trouble, right? Like once we get these metals into that level, cerebral spinal fluid all throughout the body, then it's a it's a real challenge to move those from the peripheral tissues in back into the GI tract and hopefully out of the system, right? So, um, I mean, they disrupt things so many ways. They, they, they break down the, the enzymatic function. Um, you know, even the enzymes that, that we rely on to detox these heavy metals, um, they can get disrupted. So now we have a buildup of, uh, of accumulated toxic metals that are now shutting down our natural ability to detox and to metabolize these things. So we get ourselves in a huge, huge mess. Um, and, and again, once we get to that point of disrupted communication, I mean, it, honestly, it, it's, it's anybody's guess as to what's next. Um, it just becomes this downward spiral of function and dysfunction. Um, and, and that's, that's where it's, it's tough, right? And I know the, the people that you and I both see, you know, they're often in that place and, and it's a whole 
process to unwind that situation because it, it can get quite tricky. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, you know, as far as, you know, uh, an exchange with our environment, you know, human beings are open energetic systems yeah. uh, that maintain this continuous kind of information exchange and energy exchange with our environment. Can you talk about that and how that can factor into longevity and aging? Yeah. And, and piggybacking on our sort of previous discussion here with heavy metals, right? Um, if you ever thrown a CD into a microwave, Right, you're going to see all kinds of sparks fly, right? So we actually have um, evidence now to suggest that these buildup of, of these metals in our body, the aluminums and the mercuries and all these uh, cadmiums and lead and all these things, um, they're going to interact with these unseen energies, right? These electromagnetic uh, radiation that we see uh, that is pervasive in our environment, right? The more severe that gets and the more metals that we accumulate in the body, there is an interaction going on, even though we might not be able to, to pick it up until we're so we're basically taken out, right? When we're very, very weak and, and we have a certain level of dysfunction, this is where you start to see the electromagnetic uh, sensitivities that, that are high levels, right? So there's, there's always some kind of um, issue going on there. But this is why it's important to recognize that we are open energetic systems is so that we can uh, at least conceptually understand that, that everything matters. It's not just these sort of billiard ball style Newtonian mechanics at play that chemistry is affecting everything. No, no, it's actually a level deeper. It's the energies, right? It's the sunlight, right? It's the, the energy coming from the sun that's going to impact biology in a tremendous way when it comes to circadian rhythm and chronobiology, when it comes to hormonal production, right? The, the sun is fundamental to, to our being. And then we have other things like music, like light therapies, right? So we can start to in, interject some of these things into our world that can really produce profound healing effects. Um, and then of course, beyond that, we have the belief systems and the thoughts and the emotions, right? And, and this is where if you get into this world long enough, you find that there's sort of these, these main um, levers, right? And I would say one is the sort of the toxins, right? The, the, the metals, the chemicals, um, the Wi-Fi and the radiations, that level um, is massive. And then you have this sort of trauma piece where you have the emotions and these sort of stuck experiences that don't get processed. That becomes a huge driver of health or dysfunction, right? And so um, it's really important to recognize that, that the thoughts that we have, the belief systems, um, the conditioned behaviors that are unconscious are affecting us not only in how we're behaving and how we're walking through the world, but it's having a tremendous impact at the nervous system level. It's, it's impacting us at the, at the epigenetic level and how our body expresses because there's an underlying threat that the body may be detecting based on past experiences that we are just not even aware of, that we've adapted to, right? We're so brilliant in the sense that we can adapt to so many environments and that adaptation can cause sort of this rut that we can get stuck in, right? We can get pattern locked into a way of operation, um, both walking in the world and at the body level. And that's what can get us into trouble because we don't even recognize that our body system isn't at rest, right? We're just, we're, we're constantly on and this sort of sympathetic drive is so significant, but we've been used to it for so long that what feels like rest is actually hypervigilance. And only until we finally process some of these things, um, these what we might call traumas, but these conditions that we've lived with for, for many, many years, then we can find a new level of rest at the nervous system level. And again, going back to the toxins, once we allow, once our body can get into that parasympathetic, once it can get into that rest and digest, once that vagus nerve starts to get activated and starts to, to, to really kick on uh, throughout the GI tract and throughout the detox systems, now we can actually finally let go of these things that are building up in the system that we've been working so hard to, to move out the body. Yeah. I mean, like our nervous system is, you know, that interface that translates our mental, emotional, and spiritual experiences to our internal biology. Yeah. And so many people are stressed today. It's in, that's the number one killer. And of course it promotes aging and, uh, re, you know, reduces our lifespan. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, this, this is everything, you know, I mean, one of my favorite quotes from Ayurveda is that, um, we don't experience reality as it is. We only experience our nervous system, right? So this is a, a critical factor. Like I, I, there was a, what was that thing? There was a, a, an audio clip that was being shared for a while. It went fairly viral. And, you know, it was, there was an argument between each person, whether they heard uh, Laurel or, or Yanny. And, and you can listen to this on YouTube, uh, Laurel Yanny. And, and so what's the truth? The reality is that, that both are actually being played simultaneously, but you, based on certain characteristics, are 
really geared to hear one or the other, right? And then we had the other one with the um, the dress, right? Like the blue, was it blue and gold or whatever it was, the colored dress and everybody saw different colors. So we have a unique expression. We have a unique constitution that is based on um, our fundamental essence, how we come in, as well as the the dysfunctions that are that are showing up. Right, so uh, this is a really important factor that, and, and it should guide your decision um, when it comes to how you approach health. Right, which food you should eat, how much sun you should get, um, how much sleep do you need? Do you need sleep earlier uh, in the night, or do you, or are you, are you more of a night owl? Right, these are all individual aspects of our expression, and so this is all operating at the nervous system level, and so this is what guides. Um, a lot of this, this, um, the healing path for each one of us and what's needed, right? We're all exposed to all kinds of toxins. Why is it that somebody can be exposed to um, this? Two people can be exposed to the virtually the same amount of the same um, metal or the same chemical, and one person has a ton of symptoms and the other, other doesn't, right? There's something going on at that nervous system level. There's something going on um, at that individuated level that creates that difference. And so, so with that, this, this idea of, of the nervous system sort of being that interface is the thing that's going to guide the decisions that we make and it's 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 an important thing to follow because there's so many health experts out there right and they're all saying different stuff right like eat eat the the a vegan diet eat eat a red meat carnivore diet right eat somewhere in between right and there's truth in all of it right there actually is truth in all of it but it's contextualized Right? And these are more of these, most of these are therapeutic diets, right? Um, and I've tried pretty much everything. I haven't tried the carnivore diet yet, but I'm curious. Um, but these are all therapeutic diets, um, and, and yet they do work for certain people. So uh, depending on what you need um, is really going to guide your therapies. And, and sort of that nervous system is the interface by which all this tends to come into this reality for us. Now, can you talk about, you know, when it comes to longevity, what's the most important period in our life that can predict our, our longevity, that can predict our, our, you know, the health of our biology, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because uh, a lot of the work that's done in, in longevity, in aging, in gerontology is looking at um, the people that are in their 80s and 90s and, and beyond 100. What are they doing and how are they living? And well, I think that's great. Um, it, it fundamentally doesn't get to the core of what's happening, right? Because in order to get to 80 or 90, 100, you had to have been doing something right for a long period of time, right? And when we're born, like we're not all born um, starting at the same place, right? Like I hate to break it to us, but we're not, we're not, we don't, we're not born starting at 100 and then it's just all downhill from there, right? Like what our parents did, what our grandparents did, what their parents did and their parents actually impacts us at the at the moment of conception right so even at the moment of conception we all have sort of a let's say a unique starting position right we all have the health potential but maybe some of us are starting off a little bit behind so to speak right because of what happened generationally and one one could argue karmically um, that we come in with um, but even in that womb we get exposed to different things, right? I mean, the environmental working group, I think it was 288 chemicals that they found um, in cord blood when they looked at 10 babies. And then there's been numerous, um, I know, studies beyond that that have shown all kinds of crap that are, that are found in, in fetal tissue. So that's impacting the development, right? And, and this is key, right? Like we, because humans are so malleable, uh, like everything we are open energetic systems that is constantly reading and responding to the environment. And our biology is going to read and respond to the environment in a way that tries to provide some stability, that tries to provide homeostasis in a given environment, which is why we can live um, in Arctic conditions as well as equatorial conditions, right? We can live in so many different ways because biology can actually adapt. Well, so that means that everything that we're being exposed to throughout our life is causing some micro or macro adaptation in us and so when we're exposed to something for long enough eventually we'll actually develop a way to, to deal with it but in the short term this hyper novel environment that we found ourselves in in modern humanity is actually a lot for our biology to try to adjust to so it's not like these things are necessarily even bad or good to be honest um, even even the metals and the chemicals eventually we would our biology would find a way to live harmoniously with these things. And I don't know how, but it's just what life does. In the short term though, these things can be horrific because our biology hasn't figured out a way to adapt and it takes resource to adapt, 
right? So that's the thing. So when we're in development at six months and one year and three years and four years and five years, our nervous system hasn't even developed, right? We are full, we are really, really in uh, an early stage of human evolution in our, in our own lifetime. And so all the things that we're being uh, inundated with are going to impact how our thoughts, our conditions and our reality plays itself out, right? And so we become the person based on this, these conditions. And our biology expresses based on the conditions that it finds itself in. So those first 10 years of life, which are critical for, for development and how our biology is going to express, right? The, the, the microbiota, the, 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 the microbiome for each individual forms within that first year. And whether you have a C-section or a vaginal birth, um, all kinds of, you know, whether you're breastfed, that all matters, right? And so um, this is all impacting the long-term uh, expression, right? So what happens in that first year is so critical to the development and what happens at 30 and 50 and 70, right? So if we are vaginally birthed, if we are um, breastfed for hopefully at least a year, if not two or three, which is what's happened in most of the world, right? Um, if we have uh, a close family connection, if we feel safe and connected and, and supported, and we're given enough freedom in our childhood development, these are all things that are going to lead to a nervous system that feels safe, a nervous system that feels connected, a nervous system that feels um, secure in, in relationship with, with my surroundings, with individuals, um, with with people all around me, right? So that is going to make a huge difference um, on an expression level. So it is those first 10 years that are going to matter when it comes to longevity. And we can repattern some of that stuff, like in a huge way, we can repattern that stuff. But as we get into adulthood, as our nervous system is sort of formed around these experiences that we've had in early life, in order to repattern that, it, it takes a little bit of work, right? Neuroplasticity is a real thing. And we can do things like limbic system retraining, like through DNRS. Um, there's all kinds of different things that we can do. EMDR is a great therapy. There's family constellations. We can rework some of these things that were missed or that were, were out of balance or out of alignment, um, but that's gonna take some work. And usually we don't figure those things out until we're you know, 18, 30, for some of us, 40, right? And, and beyond, like I'm still figuring out new stuff that I can rework in my system so that it finds new ease, new rest, right? And so when it comes to longevity, it really is about how well are we sleeping? How well are we at rest? How much of our time are we spent in uh, parasympathetic, right? Can we get into sympathetic and parasympathetic easily, you know, to switch back and forth? Can I, can I fully express myself and work out and push my body through the day and then rest and sleep really, really well at night? So it, it is the ability to get back into that parasympathetic, that rest mode. And if, if we're unable to do that, because there's this underlying sense of lack of safety, which we all have, by the way, even no matter how much work you do, you'll find that there's more work to, to do to find a new level of safety in the system. Um, but that's really where I think uh, if we can if we can limit the let's say damage or the the implications of some of that uh, early in childhood, then we're gonna we're gonna stand a, a really good chance as we get older. Yeah, and that brings me to want to talk about trauma and childhood development trauma because that definitely sets our nervous system up to be um, in a chronic state of stress or in worry and depression and anxiety and just set someone up for that for life. Um, versus someone who grew up uh, securely attached, who's just yeah. more calm and, and happy, it's optimistic, et cetera, in general. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, emotional trauma impacts us and impacts longevity and maybe talk a little bit about uh, limbic rekindling and how, you know, that can set the stage and, and you know, how like limbic retraining therapy is very uh, underutilized? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, and, and when we think about trauma, right, I mean, it's common to think about, you know, physical abuse or sexual abuse or, or even sig significant mental abuse that, that might happen. Um, and that's, that's meaningful. Like that really does have an impact on a, on a developing child. But there's also other things that we might not even consider um, trauma, right? Um, there's, there's conditioning, right? So if, if, if a child is conditioned to 
basically uh, ignore their feelings, right? So if they're, if they're some, some children are very sensitive and they have big feelings, right? And that can be a lot for an adult to handle. Like I've got, I've got a little infant, a three-year-old that has some big feelings. And, and at that age, most of them do, but he tends to, to overexpress some of these things really quickly, flies off the handle quickly. So I've got to be able to meet that, right? And not make it wrong and allow him to express his natural, because these are just energies, right? They don't know what's happening. They don't have a rational mind on board yet to, to understand these feelings. They have to eventually start to get a grasp of what these are. So we have to, as parents, as, as caregivers, allow them to express, you know, throw that tantrum and, and be held in a loving container while they do that, while also setting boundaries for it, right? So this is a very tricky thing for, for parents and caregivers to try to navigate. But, but there's, there's a lot of kids that don't, give, don't get that luxury, right? Like parents just don't know. We, we don't know uh, what we don't know, right? So we have this ignorance on how to deal with some of this stuff. And it can be tough. And there's some big things that can happen. And so there's conditioning that happens there that starts to shut down the natural expression, the, the ability for, for a child or eventually an adult to even feel into their body. Right? So this is what happens is that we kind of lose track of ourselves. Sometimes we don't even find ourselves because that is a developmental process in and of itself. Right? A, a one-year-old can't distinguish between mama and, and herself. Right? There is no difference. They, they, can't, they haven't individuated yet. So there's a process of individuation in this, this idea of me, of, of, of I am here and you are there. Right? And so that's a, that's a process in and of itself. So if that doesn't happen correctly or well, then there's going to be some issues in oversharing or overhelping somebody, right? And losing oneself in the process, you know, listening to others and totally neglecting what's really here. Like what's in my heart, what's in my gut, what, what, what is, what am I feeling? Right. And, and completely relying on others. So um, there's a whole developmental sequence that happens for all of us. And, and most of us have ruptures at, at certain points in that process um, that we can either go back and repair or actually get, um, let's say, mirrored in a way that we that we didn't get when we were young, right? So the ideal parent can show up in sort of therapeutic settings and other ways to where we can actually get the mirroring we needed, um, but we didn't get. And so that plays a huge role in, in how we're uh, showing up in the world. There was a study um, that Kaiser Permanente and, CDC, and the CDC did called the ACEs study. I know you're familiar with this, Wendy, but this is the, the Adverse Childhood Events Study. And, and what they were looking at is um, why these certain uh, people wouldn't follow through with like a, I think it was a weight loss program originally. And, and they, they couldn't figure out what was going on. So they looked at um, some of the lifestyle factors and they, they realized that 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 the people that, that weren't able to carry through and follow through with this sort of healthy regimen, that they had these sort of traumatic events that happened. And they, and they only listed like 10. So they figured out, okay, what are these top 10s? Like parent getting incarcerated, abuse. And there's a little list of 10 and they're pretty significant. And, and the more uh, ACEs you would have, more adverse childhood events or experiences that, that, that they would list, the more they realized they had um, all-cause mortality increased, right? So, so, so uh, all disease increased, right? Autoimmune conditions, cancers, um, you know, any, any disease you can think of would increase, right? Suicide, of course, alcoholism. And they said, okay, well, what is it the actual behaviors that are contributing to these sort of chronic conditions increasing, right? Is it, is it the fact that they drank more alcohol, they smoked, they're more likely to smoke, they're more likely to, to do uh, illicit drugs that then led to the, the chronic issues. So then they, they isolated those out and so even the people that didn't drink and, and, and smoke and, and do illicit drugs, they had higher rates of, of all chronic diseases, right? So there's something inherently going on at that nervous system level that is related to trauma, um, related to this idea of lack of safety, the lack of connection, right? This is a huge one. In the longevity space, we talk about community as being a central player in, in leading to, to long and happy lives. Well, that's great, but it's not actually community. Like community doesn't inherently hold any values, anything that, that we need. It's the things that we typically think of that community can provide, which is safety and connection, right? So in, if I have a, a community that I feel connected to, that I feel safer in, then that's, that's going to provide me benefits on the nervous system level. But if I'm in a community and I don't feel connected to it, I actually might feel isolated from it. But there's a thought that I should be connected. That actually can create more internal uh, issues, right? This sort of disconnect between supposed to be feeling safe and connected in the community, but feeling completely isolated and left out. So it is the connection that we're really looking for. 
and and there's different types of connection. There's different. There's connection to, to self, self to self, right? That's a, a connection point. There's self to other, right? So one on one, and do I feel connected with this per this this individual being? Then there's groups. So can I connect to a group, which may be something totally different? So some people can actually connect one on one, but can't connect to a group. That's threatening, right? And then there's a connection to something greater, right? God, the universe right? Great spirit, whatever you want to call it, nature, right? But there's some connect, the ability to connect to something beyond yourself is also a connection point. So this is what's cool is that we don't actually need the, the community. The community may provide some cool things for us, but this ability to connect, I can sit here in meditation and feel totally connected to everything and everyone. That's providing, providing the therapeutic value in a huge way. And also when I'm walking through the world or I'm having Zoom uh, conversations, can I feel connected to the, to the other uh, on the other side, even if we're not in the same room, right? So there's deep, deep aspects here. And this is important because as I mentioned before, the attachment system, we may not be able to feel connected because of the wounds that we experience in development. So that, that becomes a challenge. And, and, and Wendy, I'm sure you've met people like this where it's like, man, you just, you can't get through. It feels like there's a heart wall. There's just, there's no ability to actually connect. And so we are, we're all somewhere on that spectrum, really easy to connect with, or we have a little guarded up, right? We're a little guarded and, and for right reasons, right? So it's not something to be ashamed of or to, to put blame on. Um, that guarded protection is a result of some of the experiences that we had when we were young. And that's the adaptation. I'm going to, I'm going to hold people at a distance because if I let them get too close, there's a lack of safety that happens that, that, that as I let them in and I'm totally vulnerable, now they can destroy me, right? Like they can leave, they can, they can turn on me. And that is heartbreaking, right? It's really, really heartbreaking. And so that's what happened to us when we were young on some level, because we were these little tiny infant beings without a concept of the world, only internal feelings. We haven't developed our worldview or map yet. And so we're just experiencing the world as it is, like totally open. And so these wounds are very, very real without the cognition. And so we carry those with us and, and, and prevent the same things from happening as, as we get into our older years. And so, so we, again, we, we all walk through the world on some level with these wounds. We carry them over our shoulder with us and the adaptive um, traits that come with them, both on the negative side that are preventing sort of health and well-being, and on the positive side, right? It might be uh, the perfectionist, right, that develops like a really keen eye for all these details, or it might be the one who strived for success because that's how they felt love and and acceptance, you know, in school or by the parents or by peers, and so then they become this really successful entrepreneur or business person. And that's wonderful, right? But that's that can be an adaptation due to some of those traumas. So, so there's goods and bads. There's there's positives and negatives. The cool thing is, as we clean up some of these things, as we process some of these experiences and and, and heal some of these wounds, we get to keep the gifts because those, that's an adaptive trait that we've picked up. And now we can walk through the world more connected, more uh, at ease, more safe, um, and, and really more aligned with who we really are. Yeah, it's so important to do trauma work. I mean, it's just such a huge stress reliever and you can change how you perceive the world and how you connect with people just by doing trauma work, which is really, yeah. you know, uh, energetic work as well. Um, so tell us about some of the things we're going to learn in your book beyond longevity, kind of beyond some of the things you've talked about today. Yeah, I mean, the first sort of third of the book really is is kind of a philosophy on health and aging, like, you know, the deeper aspects or the things that I, when I worked with clients one-on-one uh, -on -one more than I do now, there was an aspect of helping them understand and frame what's happening, right? This, whenever somebody's caught in a disease or dysfunctional process, it's really just, um, it's really just a wake-up call that something's out of balance, something's out of alignment. And as you figure out what that is and address that it, it generally sets you on a on a path that your soul is really meant to to engage upon right like that's the cool part is that anybody that overcomes their chronic uh, disease or chronic symptoms they'll find themselves in a better place than when they started not just on the health level although that is tends to be the case too but really in their life they either meet people along the way it might be a wife or a husband it might be business partners it might be switching careers it might be finding new passions and purposes but that that's kind of what that's the end result of, of resolving something like 
you know, type two diabetes, right? That can actually put you on a completely new path in life. And so if you're, if you're willing and brave enough to tackle those things and figure out the source of what's out of alignment, what, what is it that's, that, that needs to be addressed truly. And, and as that gets resolved and, and, and brought into alignment, then, then your entire life can shift in, in a brilliant, brilliant way. So that the first sort of third of the book is really about that. And the last two thirds are the practical aspects of the book. You know, what, what is it that, that you can do to, to bring, uh, to elicit and initiate health? Because it's an inherent aspect of your being, right? It is, it's not something you have to achieve or you have to work at. It is, it is who we are. Uh, that healthy expression is there. We don't need to work for it. We just need to find the things that are blocking that expression that are preventing that natural flow that is inherent within us. And so that's really what the rest of the book is guided to do. You know, we talk about chronobiology and circadian rhythm, how to really set the stage there because that's critical, right? The body operates on this sort of cyclical 24-hour day and night cycle. And if we start to mess with that, which we have in our modern world in a tremendous way, then our hormones are tanked. We don't detox well. We're unable to digest food well. Um, we don't produce you know, uh, the longevity sort of, uh, I guess, expression of the genetic level. All the things, all the, the signaling that we're wanting to turn on can't happen appropriately because we're not synchronized with the sun, as simple as that is. But I mean, I've seen people lose weight. I've seen uh, eyesight increase, detoxification, skin problems clear. Like, you name it, I've seen things clear just based on fixing circadian rhythm and, and, and addressing chronobiology because the body has a rhythm and has a process. So that's, that's one thing we touch on, talk, talk about diet and really what, how to approach diet. Because again, we've got all the advice under the sun out there right now. And it's, it can be tricky to figure out what's right for you and how to even navigate that. And what's important, right? I'll, I'll say this, that so much we're, we're fixated upon what do I eat? And I think that is that is the wrong place to start, right? First, we need to get to when do I eat? That's actually the most important part. So when are we eating? Because if we're eating the best foods ever at the wrong time of the day, we're going to cause problems and we're not going to be able to digest, right? If we're eating not very good foods, but at the right time of day, we actually have a better shot at metabolizing those and, and they're not going to be as big of a problem. So when do we eat? How much do I eat? And the reason that's important, not only from a caloric perspective and sort of the standard weight loss type of thinking, but actually from a digestive capacity, how much capacity do you have to digest food? Well, that changes throughout the day, depending on your circadian rhythm. So in the middle of the day, we have a better capacity to digest food. So you can have more challenging meals to, to digest more complex meals and a, a larger portion size in the middle of the day than versus 6 p.m. You don't want to be eating a large, complex, difficult to digest meal late in the day, right? So how much do you eat? And then, and of course, the, the most fundamental aspect is the source of the food that you're, that you're getting. Is it, you know, organic processed, you know, bars of some kind? I don't care how organic or how great they are, it's not the same as eating real whole food, right? And so as long as you understand these things, you don't have to be perfect with this, but, but really getting the hierarchy of importance when it comes to food, I think is really, really critical. So we talk a little bit about that, how to digest, how to improve digestion, which is fundamental. You know, in Ayurveda, digestion is a central theme. You know, this is something that if we're not digesting our thoughts, we're not digesting our emotions and we're not digesting our food, then we create uh, metabolic waste. We create this, what they call in, in Ayurveda, ama, this morbid substance that actually inhibits communication at the cellular level, right? And, and we have names for this in, in, in Western medicine, but essentially it's the, it's the breakdown and the increase in reactive oxygen species at that cellular level, right? So um, digestion becomes really, really critical. And especially as you get older, right? When you're in your twenties, you can pretty much digest everything. Like you can make all kinds of mistakes and your body has so much vitality that you can actually get away with it. <laughs> I see a little smile on your face, Wendy. It's like, as we get older, like these things, we can't make as many mistakes. Like we just don't have that vitality that we used to. And, 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 and so when you get in your seventies, eighties, nineties, you hear the same thing. You know, a lot of the people that I spoke with that are in their nineties, they stopped eating meat not because they actually, there was anything wrong with it. Just they realized that it wasn't, they weren't as good at digesting it as they were at, at digesting fruits and some of the easier sort of uh, warm vegetables or warm carbohydrates, right? Like those are easy to digest 
than, as a, compared to meats. So, so our digestive capacity wanes as we get older. So it's important to know how do I digest food properly without having to take all these pills and supplements and, and things just to digest a meal, right? So we get into trauma. We get into all kinds of things, basically lifestyle medicine. And then at the end of the book, I talk about um, regenerative medicine, right? The cool things that are coming up. And, and high-dose melatonin is a really cool one. Uh, peptides that, that are now on the market that we can actually take orally. You don't have to inject them. Um, you know, uh, and, and then I think what's cool, uh, coming down the pike is stem cells, right. And, and you can do really amazing work around the world. We're not quite there yet in the U S hopefully our regulations will get us to a point where we're competitive in the stem cell market. Um, but, but there's some really, really cool things coming down the pike and, and regenerative orthopedics. Right? And this is what matters, right? Like when you get to 85, like, I think most people want to walk right? They, want it, they don't want their joints to hurt. They don't want to have hip replacements. They don't want their back to be sore. They want good vision. They want to be able to hear. And, and the other stuff is just going to go. Like, we're just going to get wrinkly. We're going to get gray. This is the reality of getting older. And I've seen a lot of people that are relatively healthy in their 90s and 100s, and they're still, they're not 20-year-olds. They're not 40-year-olds either, right? So, so that, I think, to some degree, as, as far as I can tell, most people are okay with that. It's when they're unable to move and unable to hear and unable to see, unable to engage with the world in a meaningful way, then they start going, well, what am I doing here? Like, that's what matters, right? So, so I think some of those regenerative orthopedics are, are going to be really, really beneficial in that regard, keeping us functional later in life so that we can enjoy the world, so that we can engage with it in a way that makes us happy. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, there's just so many facets to this. There's so many facets to anti-aging and longevity. And so everyone highly, highly recommend checking out Jason's book, Beyond Longevity, a proven plan for healing faster, feeling better and thriving at any age. Cause that's what we all want. We want to have a, a good quality of life as we age. Uh, so the, thanks so much, Jason, anything else that you left out that you want to touch on? No, they can go, to, um, if anybody's interested, they can go to beyondlongevitybook.com. Um, we're giving away a, a number of bonus, uh, exclusive bonuses, really, for the people who want, who want to buy the book um, to help implement some of the things that are in the book. Um, so I'm excited to share those as well. So, um, Wendy, thanks for having me on. It's been, a, it's been a real pleasure. Always good to see you. Yeah, you too. And yeah, you did an amazing docu docu-series or documentary on aging and longevity. And you travel around the world interviewing people all over the planet about uh, you know, their secrets to longevity. And so I'm so happy you wrote this book to just divulge all these secrets that you've learned over the past, you know, 10 years. So everyone highly recommended go check it out. And everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Myers Detox Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. And uh, just really a pleasure every week to, to do these interviews and, and help you. Really, my goal is I want to help you give you a few nuggets of information, something that can just, you know, upgrade your health that will turn things around for you. And so I really thank you for tuning in every week. Uh, talk to you guys very soon. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.